Good evening, everyone. My name's Beth, and I'll be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 31 with you this evening. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor. But all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens, with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshipping thi things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you are now. The Lord was angry with me because of you, 
And he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which he confirmed to them by oath. Thanks, Pat. Thank you, Beth, for doing that long reading. Um, I think that's a lot of people's experience of the Old Testament, is that there's lots and lots of words, uh, long readings, long texts, um, and we're going to spend some time thinking about what those words are, but we're not going to answer every question. And so, as you'll see, there's a podcast, there's a text line that you can send in your questions, the things that I don't answer or don't answer clearly enough that you want further information on. You're allowed to write in questions and hopefully um, they'll be dealt with in the podcast, which is back up and running again. Um, so I'm going to pray for us and then let's get into this passage. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Uh, a lot of it is... Uh, stories from the past and there can be a tendency to not really connect with it, to not see how this is relevant for us. We pray tonight as we spend some time thinking about uh, this very ancient passage that we'll see that it's not just history uh, but it's actually something that we need to hear and respond to. We're not capable of doing that in and of, our, of ourselves and so we ask that by your spirit that you would work in us, enable us to not only understand this, uh, but to put it into practice to your glory and honour. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, many places have become linked to the infamous events that took place there. And so I can say the word Gallipoli. And as was commemorated last Sunday, for many it evokes very deep emotions not merely thoughts of a place in a faraway land. Likewise, say the word Hiroshima or Hiroshima, 
And our thoughts go not simply to a town in Japan, but to the dropping of a nuclear bomb and its impact, not only immediately, but ongoing down to our time today. Sadly, I think that the most well-known places are often linked to terrible things that took place there. Auschwitz, the killing fields of Cambodia, Pearl Harbour, Beth Peor. Now, that last name may not evoke the same emotions that the other places do, but for the Israelites who were listening to Moses there, just by the River Jordan, Beth Peor was forever connected to the terrible events that took place there. Last week, Mark took us on Moses' rapid review of Israel's history that had brought them to this point east of the Jordan. They're on the wrong side of the river. There was a sad story of disobedience and judgment that warns you that if you don't trust God, you will die in the desert. But at the same time, it was a great story filled with hope of victory over kings and giants. Israel's recent history, let alone its distant past, promised that God is gracious and he delights in giving his people good things. It should have assured Israel of what God was going to do for them in the promised land. It screamed out God's capability, his generosity, his care, his faithfulness. And then chapter 3 finished with what we might mistakenly assume is merely a geographical marker. So we stayed in the valley near Beth Peor. If you have a look on the map, this is the approximate location of Beth or Baal Peor, just to the right of the Dead Sea, below Shittim, and Jericho right in the centre. Um, It's about 20 kilometres, roughly, from Baal Peor to Jericho. Jericho, the famous city where Israel first crosses the Jordan and goes in and starts to take over. Israel is on the border of the Promised Land. And so... It's really important to notice this, but even more importantly, for Moses' original audience, this is a verbal slap in the face. Chapters 1 to 3 of Deuteronomy have drawn attention to the fact that God had just shown his power by giving this new generation of Israel victory over King Og and King Sihon. And straight on the back of those two miraculous victories... Israel, generation two, arrives at Beth Peor. They're on the border of going into the promised land, the land that was promised hundreds of years before. They can literally see Jericho just over there, over the river. And Moses can simply drop the name Beth Peor. And all of his audience knows that there is an implicit rebuke here, an implicit warning. Why? Well, because immediately after God had given them these great victories, had displayed his faithfulness, Israel was unfaithful. There's no need for Moses to recount all of the sordid details of everything that took place at Beth Peor, as it's recorded in Numbers 22 to 25, and you can go back and do that reading for your homework. So the heart of the issue is that as soon as God had given them victory... They worshipped another god, the Baal of Peor, a nation 
that was supposed to be different from the other nations, separate from them, committed sexual immorality and idolatry, the exact same practices that God was sending Israel into Canaan to destroy the Canaanites for, these exact same sins. On the very edge of the promised land, the new generation were guilty of behaving just like the old generation, perhaps even worse, which is pretty ominous given that last time their parents and grandparents had disobeyed, they'd been destroyed. They'd wandered in the, in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years before all of that generation died. Does it mean that this generation on the edge of the promised land is going to be wiped out too? Now, it's in that terrifying context that Moses gives Israel a lesson on who God is, which we're going to look at in four parts. Verses 1 to 8, God is good and so are the laws that he gives. God is good and so are his laws. And so therefore, because he's good and his laws are good, verses 9 to 14, don't forget God's word. Verses 15 to 24, because God's good and his word is good, don't take substitute gods. And then finally in verses 25 to 31, because God is good and his laws are good, turn back to the merciful God. Now for a nation who had really only relatively recently been rescued by God from Egypt, who'd received God's law at Mount Sinai, who had been following God's cloud and pillar of fire through the wilderness for the last 40 years, it may sound like a pretty strange lesson to need at that point. God was with them every moment. He had shown himself unmistakably to these people. But who is God is the lesson that they needed to learn. Who is God? Well, let's look firstly at verses 1 to 8 for Moses' answer to that question. Moses' first point is that God is good and his laws that he's given to Israel are good laws. The commands that Moses is teaching are not odious regulations imposed by an out-of-touch legislator making arbitrary restrictions and demands on a people that are unrelated to him. The law is a gift. And if they obey this gift, the outcome will be life. Have a look at verse 1. Now, Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land. The Lord, the God of your ancestors, is giving you. So the law's goal, as it was given, was not to fence off all of the pleasurable things in life. God designed and gave his good laws so that if Israel obeyed them, they would live. That's why we've named this series, Choose Life. God was giving Israel sorry, a path to walk on that led to a good outcome. Walk down that road, do these things that he's commanded, and life is the guaranteed end point. Go any other way, and as Beth Peor demonstrates, you'll die. Now, most of us have a GPS or have used Google Maps at some point to give us directions to somewhere where we don't know the way. But if you've used it, you've probably also faced a time when you've ignored the instructions that Google gives you because, well, you know a better way than Google. 
by referring to Beth Peor. And then in verse 3, the Baal Peor, the name of the idol that they actually worshipped there, Moses is saying, do not, under any circumstances, ever presume to know that you think that you know a better way than God has given you. Go the way that God says in his law. Or, like your parents and your grandparents at Kadesh Barnea, like the disobedient at Beth Peor, you will die. It's the one negative statement in this whole section, but it's immediately followed by two positive outcomes of obedience. If you obey, not only will you live, but possession of the promised land will be the outcome. It is good for you to obey. It's in your best interest to do what God says here. And what's more, it's not only good for you, it's also good for others. So good were the laws that God had given Israel that when the nations saw Israel living them out, they would be absolutely amazed, verses 6 and 7 say. Wow, how, how great is this nation? How wise and understanding are they? If Israel obey, people will actually be jealous of Israel. Rather than watching the nations and imitating them, Israel are supposed to be the example that the surrounding nations would watch and want to be like. Someone has called it being a thermostat rather than a thermometer. God's people are supposed to set the standard, not adjust to what those around them consider to be okay. Which again shows what is so wrong with the actions of those unfaithful at Beth Peor. If Israel knew how good God was, if they knew how good his laws were, they should have been repulsed by the nation's behaviour rather than wanting to go along with it and do the same thing. But they ignored God's commands and instead chose their own path. It was reckless and it was wrong. It deserved judgment, which if you go back and read Numbers, you'll see God carried out immediately. And from our distance, both in time and place, we wonder how could they ever have made such a terrible choice? Why would they reject God's ways and, and choose their own instead? And yet if we stop and reflect on our own lives, how often do we do exactly the same thing? Haven't we ever looked at our non-Christian friends and wondered if they're actually having a little bit more fun than we are? They've got a little bit more secure life than I have. Haven't we questioned whether the things that God expects of us and well, thought that maybe your standards are just a little bit too high? It's so common to conclude that the grass is greener on the other side. And so rather than sticking to the straight and narrow, we veer off the path into behaviour that God has expressly condemned. Even after having seen Jesus' death and resurrection that gives us victory, aren't we just as quick as Israel to go off in pursuit of pleasure and fulfilment in ways that God has forbidden? Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And yet aren't we tempted to justify our dating of a non-Christian partner? Justify sex outside of marriage? excessive drinking, and all sorts of other practices that's just considered normal by our society, though they are to take a road 
that God has very clearly warned us against. We know that we're supposed to love our neighbours, sorry, love our enemies and our neighbours, and turn the other cheek. But if we do that, then won't we get taken advantage of? And so we judge, we judge God's requirements as outdated, too hard, or just downright ineffective. We doubt God's motives for why we must think, act, and talk that way. But lesson one, God is good. And so are all of his ways. God is good. Having established this foundational fact, verses 9 to 14 begin to develop the implication of God's goodness. Because God is good, don't forget his word. It's a demand that Moses will come back to again and again throughout the book of Deuteronomy. Sometimes in the negative, like here, don't forget, but even more times, far more times, in the positive. Remember this. Here in verse 9, it's don't forget what your eyes have seen. The point is that lessons must be learnt from the past. History is not a collection of interesting facts or getting events in their right chronological order. Biblical history is designed to bring about change in our actions, in our thoughts, in our speaking now, which shows that Moses has got a very good grasp of human nature. Many of you know we lived in Thailand for a number of years and this nice blue motorbike was my main transport. You can see it's great for taking the family with you. You can actually fit five on there at a time if you, if you really need to. Uh, the nice ute in the background as well. Um, but, but the difference between riding a motorbike in Australia and Thailand is not just the size of it, a little 125 versus what you should be riding. Um, safety equipment is also a little bit different to Australian requirements for safety. And so instead of boots, as you can see, maybe if you look at the picture later, I often wore my flip-flops or thongs while I was riding my motorbike. Now, one day I rode my motorbike without the kids uh, down to the local shopping centre, gone in, done my shopping, come back out, sitting on the motorbike, reversing out. So you've just got to wheel it out like this. The stand flicked back down and it caught my big toenail, ripping it off straight away. The pain was unbelievable, but it got worse. I had to go to the doctor because the root of the nail was still actually connected. And so the doctor had to give me two needles into my nail bed, which made the previous pain feel like a mosquito bite. What is the logical response to such a painful experience? Well, you'd assume that from then on, you only ever ride your motorbike with boots on. But no. Within weeks, the pain had gone away, I'd forgotten all about it, and I was back to my old ways. It is sad, but no matter how good or bad an experience we go through, it's human nature to tend to forget what should logically lead to lasting change. The generation that had died in the wilderness demonstrate that you can be there. You can see God with your own eyes and still not learn the lesson. 
They were rescued by God from slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea on dry land with walls of water on either side. They ate the manna that God provided them. They were at Mount Sinai when he spoke to them. And still they did not trust. And the further we are in time from the event, the more likely we are to ignore the sensible implications which should flow logically from them. Moses pleads in verse 9, do not let these things fade from your heart. Not from your mind. Don't let them fade from your heart where they're supposed to impact you. His teaching is not merely passing on facts. Time and places must sink down deep inside to bring about lasting change. And this deep change mustn't just happen in you, in your generation, but in the generations that follow. The fascinating thing about how Moses instructs Israel is that the majority of the new generation of Israel had not even been at Sinai when Moses received the law from God. Apart from Caleb and Joshua, it's a new generation of people who stand before Moses by the Jordan River. When Moses says, remember the day you stood before the Lord, verse 10, when he goes on to say, you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, verse 11, the Lord spoke to you out of the fire, verse 12. Well, it's not technically true of the vast majority of his audience. The majority were not physically present when Israel received the law. But Moses can say that because you have heard about what happened, you were there. The impact of an event is not determined by being physically present, but by comprehending the lesson that's there which surely is a great lesson for us to be learning as we start looking at a book called Deuteronomy. It records events that happened a very long time ago in a land far, far away. And we might think of it as a fairy tale. But the lessons it presents are still as relevant as if we were thinking back to the time when we stood at Mount Sinai. Unlike my toenail, we must not let it be a temporary lesson that's soon forgotten. Baal Peor, Sinai, sorry, and Egypt are not merely places, but occasions where God has revealed who he is. We learn from them that God is good and has given good laws. Therefore, don't forget them. Live them out and pass them on. Now, at first glance, verses 15 to 24 seem to be changing the topic. Verses 9 to 14 have been saying, learn from the past. And this next section goes on to speak all about idolatry. But I think that what Moses is doing is actually demonstrating, he's doing a a, a show for us of what it actually looks like to learn from the past. Because God is good, don't take substitute gods. Moses again makes his point by recounting history focusing in on the way that God revealed himself at Horeb, another name for Mount Sinai that gets used throughout the book of Deuteronomy. But after relating the facts, he then goes on to draw out the necessary implications that we must take from this event. 
When God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, it was a carefully orchestrated event. As God revealed himself, he also intentionally hid himself. Verse 15, you saw no form. Now, the systematic theologians will explain that's because God is a spirit, so he's invisible, you can't see him, which is true, but it's not actually Moses' point. The point that we're supposed to get from God being unseen at Mount Sinai is, therefore, whatever you do, don't you ever come up with your own ideas of what God is like. Don't make an idol a representation that you think is adequate to represent him. Don't think of him as like this or like that, comparable to things that we see in everyday life. Even things that are partially true doesn't make them adequate. And so as Israel looked up at the sun, they saw something that was powerful and awesome, unlike anything else. But Moses says, even though it's that great, it's an inadequate thing to represent God. God's power is so much greater that to bow down to the sun is an insult to the one true God. And I think that most of us Westerners assume that idolatry is just something that other, dare I say, primitive people do. And yet if you ask the average Australian what their image of God is, and you're likely to get an answer that, oh, well, the old man with the really long beard sitting up on his throne, or if they're even more modern than that, they'll answer, well, there is no image of God. He doesn't exist. Wrong. If that's your image of God, your image of God is inadequate. Moses connects it back to verse 12. The emphasis is on the fact that he is and always has been a speaking God. When we think of God, it's appropriate not to dwell on what he looks like, but on what he has said. And so it should come as no surprise that when we leave the Old Testament and come to the Gospels, John says that, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Though we still can't see him with our eyes today, God is not hidden away and inaccessible. He has always been a communicating God. He still is a communicating God. Now, a lot of people think they need to go searching in order to find God, that it depends on us to discover what he's like by our in-depth investigations, but God was the first to initiate communication. And in Jesus, we have his clearest word ever, the word made flesh. Not just something that was heard and passed on, but also seen to perfectly live out God's word. Moses' question is a deceptively simple one. Who is God? Now, we've seen that God is good and his laws are good, And so, because that is what he is, don't forget his word. Because he is good, receive what he has revealed about himself, whether in the Old Testament or in the New. Don't make idols. Don't make substitutes of your thoughts about God for what God has told you about himself. And in this final section, because he's good and his words are good, We're commanded to worship the unique, merciful God. 
verses 25 to 31, delve even deeper into the nature of the one true God. Verse 25 is good news. Israel, generation two, are going to go into the promised land and they'll have kids and grandkids and live there a long time. But Moses prophesies that like a game of Chinese whispers, this perfectly clear message of who God is, what he's like, what his laws are, and how we must respond will get corrupted as it is passed on over time. Verse 25, if you end up making idols, you'll die. It starts in verse 25 as a possibility, if you then become corrupt. But unfortunately, by verse 30, it's not if, but when. Verse 30, when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. Before they have set a single foot inside the promised land, Moses tells them that they're going to fail. Fail dismally. When you have disobeyed, this clear command and and have gone off into exile before they've even gone into the promised land. Then you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. You are going to mess this up. And only when you've experienced the terrible destruction that the just God must pour out on your rebellion will you realise the truth of what I'm saying. But despite that, take heart. Verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which he confirmed to them by oath. While you will forget, God never will. While you will be unfaithful, God will never break any of his promises. While you will reject sensible option and and bring great harm on yourself remember that your God is merciful all that we have to do is turn back turn away from our wicked ways seek him with all our heart and soul and strength and you will find him God is waiting for us to come back to him like the father in Jesus parable of the prodigal son God is waiting like a father with his arms open wide, saying, welcome home. Now, it would be far more sensible for us and so much better for us to always obey, but we won't. So remember, when you're in distress, whether it's of your own making or somebody else's, God doesn't hold it against you, so turn back to him. He's committed to you forever. No matter what you've done, just turn back to him. When studying the Old Testament, I think it's really common to suggest that the God of the Old Testament is angry and judgmental. He's always watching out to try and catch us in our sin. But the God who has revealed himself in Deuteronomy is nothing like that. Yes, he does judge those who reject his ways. He does give strict, comprehensive and sometimes confusing instructions. But who is God? He's the merciful God who wants his people to not go through unnecessary pain. He is the wise God who knows exactly what is best for us. He's the God who has given us good paths by which we may live. 
Mount Sinai, Kadesh Barnea, Beth Peor. When we truly get it, if we truly get it, these places are not a geography lesson or a history lesson. They connect us to the moments when God revealed who he is. The Lord spoke to you. Have you listened to what he has said about himself? And I think we've got it even better than that original audience that Moses had with him by the Jordan River. Because in addition to those places, those experiences, we can add other places like Samaria and Galilee, Jerusalem and Golgotha. In these places, God revealed even more clearly to us who he is. The God who not only wants us to come back, but the God who takes on flesh, who chases after us, who pays the price for our rejection and rebellion of his ways. And he continues to plead with us, come home. When Adam and Eve first sinned, they listened to the snake that led them to doubt God's good intentions for them. They looked at what God had forbidden and saw it as the means to their happiness. They rejected God's ways and walked instead in ways of their own creation. Israel, generation two on the border of the promised land, were confronted with the same choices. Would they doubt God's good intentions for them because of the things that they saw? Would they look longingly at that which God had said, don't go down that path, it doesn't end well. Would they walk paths of their own making or walk in God's ways? And in Wollongong in 2021, I think that we're faced with the exact same choices. Will we doubt God's good intentions for us? Will we see our lack of our dream job, our dream home, our dream partner, our dream family as proof that, well, he doesn't really care for me? Will we interpret sickness or the death of a loved one as an indicator that that God's not able or not willing to give me what's my best? We will look longingly at that which God has declared is not good for us. Inappropriate relationships, feeding our greed, activities and thoughts and words, the same as those who are not God's people. As I was preparing this talk, I was coming to the end and I'd come to these conclusions. And even after I saw exactly what God is saying in this chapter... What's very clearly coming across, trust me, I'm a good God. The alternate voice was loud and tempting. What are you restricting? What are just natural desires? What are you doing that for? You, you can do it. Nobody will know. And besides, it, it doesn't hurt anybody anyway. Your salvation is dependent upon Jesus' death and resurrection. So what does a little sin matter anyway? It is so easy for us to judge Israel for their bad choices. But God, through Moses, says to us, you were there. Not just at Sinai and Beth Peor, but at Golgotha, as God declared his good interest for us by dying for us on the cross. At the empty tomb with the women on that Sunday morning, you were there. Do you know who God is? 
does it show in the way that you live? Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for your word, both what we have in the Old Testament, what we have in Jesus, what we have in the New Testament, that enables us to not just go groping in the dark, trying to work out what you're like, but reveals to us exactly, precisely who you are, what you've done for us, what we are like. Lord, I pray that these things wouldn't just be words, but they'd sink deep down into our hearts, changing attitudes, behaviours, words, actions, so that our lives would be an appropriate response to your revelation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.